are going through a series called the Why Series. And what this series is all about, it's all about discussing why the Bible says certain things or why do Christians say certain things. One of our values here at Generation Church is that we will not tell you how to live your life without first telling you why you should live that life. Because I've seen so many, I've been in so many churches, I grew up in church, and we were told you can't do this or you can't do that. There was a list of rules of what you can do and what you can't do, but nobody could explain why. Why couldn't we do those things? Or why would we be supposed to do these things? So what we did a few weeks ago, we put some questions out, and you guys asked, asked me some questions of things that you wanted to talk about. So the first week we talked about why we follow Jesus. The next week we talked about why is there injustice in the world? And we saw some videos and, uh, uh, and, and we discussed how we as a church can help fight injustice, not only in the world, but in our local community. Last week was my favorite until this week. And uh, we talked about cussing. Why do, why do Christians have a big deal with cussing? And for those of you here last week, how many of you like checked yourself this week? Like you, you're going to say something and you're like, oh, I better not say that. I'm like, I'll admit it. I kind of did as well. I, was, I wanted to say something. I'm like, no, I'm not going to say that. Uh, well, today... We're going to deal with the topic, and before we look at the topic we're going to deal with, let me just say, we're not here today to uh, condemn anybody for anything that they've done in their lives. We're not here to say, you're bad, and you need to, you know, do all this stuff to make yourself right. We're not here to say, you know, we're right, you're wrong. What we're here for today is to help you explain why the Bible says certain things. What is the heart of God? Why does God tell us to do some things and not others? And what we're going to be talking about today is a little PG-13. So uh, have a look at the, the question being asked, and then, then we'll delve right into it. Why did Christians say I can't have sex before marriage? I think that was me laughing at the end because I was like filming that. But the question is, why do Christians say that we can't have sex before marriage? Sex before marriage. It's a, it's a, it's a big topic. And let me just say when we start, I'm kind of speaking from experience because when I was like uh, late teens, early 20s, I thought I was a bit of a playboy. And so I'm coming from both sides here. You know, I'm not perfect. I've done some stuff in my life that I'm not proud of. But now I'm married and I can see both sides of the story, both sides of of things you do before marriage and things that you do after marriage. But yet, when we look at sex, sex is everywhere. This culture is dictated by sex. From movies to TV to music to the clothes we wear, to the magazines we read. We see sex everywhere. We live in a culture that believes anything goes. You know, if you feel it's right in your eyes, if you want to do something, then just go ahead and do it. Because that's the way our culture is. If you want to experiment, that's okay, right? Well, actually, I think our culture's got it wrong. They're right in the fact that sex is a part of life. You wouldn't be here if there wasn't such thing as sex. But yet, our culture, I think, has got it so wrong in their view of sex. You know, I believe that God created sex for so much more than what Hollywood portrays. When you look at the movies, when you look at the magazines, and they talk about it so much, when you look at it, God's perfect view of sex is so much better than anything that you will see in the movies. But I believe that when God created man, when he created you, when he created me, he created us as relational beings. The first man, Adam, I believe, was created in a three-dimensional way when it comes to relationships. Firstly, Adam was created to have a relationship with God. 
Next, he was created to have a relationship with nature. And then he was created to have a relationship with a lady called Eve. But yet, his relationship with God was the first thing and the most important thing. But yet, as we read through the Bible, we see that relationship or being relational beings is something that just runs right through the Bible from start to finish, from the first chapter in the book of Genesis right through to the last chapter in Revelation. We see that relationship is one of the main center topics of the Bible. And we see even that, uh, that Jesus was, was questioned one day. Somebody came to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And then, to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, Jesus couldn't just give one commandment. He gave two commandments because they were bound together. Loving God and loving others. Loving God and loving others. Even when we see the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, so often we think it's just a list of things that we can't do. But in fact, it was God's guide to how to cope with relationships in life. The first three commandments are basically to do with our relationship with God. And then the last seven commandments are to do with our relationship with each other and every one of us. But yet, throughout the course of human history, there's been a theme that we have seen. And that is the theme of broken relationships. The biggest breakdown in relationship was the breakdown between man and God. And the problem is, is that we are wired as human beings to be relational beings. There's no question about it. We're wired firstly to be in a relationship with God. And there's so many people in this world who do not have a relationship with God, but yet they are searching for something because they are wired to have a relationship with God. But we're also wired to have a relationship with others. And the problem is, is relationships break down is because we are wired to have these relationships with God and then with others But yet without God, our relationship with each other will just break down time and time and time again. And so the search starts because our relationship with God is not there. Our search starts to trying to find that void that we have in our life. And we start to look to one another because that's the next thing that we're wired to do, to have a relationship with one another. But yet somehow this search never stops. And this search keeps going on and there's this void in our life that we keep searching and searching and searching for. And this morning I want us to talk about three cravings that we have as human beings to fill that void, that relational void that's in our life. And so the first craving is this. Is that your soul craves intimacy. Your soul craves intimacy. There is a craving that comes deep within your soul. Not your mind, not your heart, not your feelings or emotions, but something deeper within, within your soul that craves intimacy. You know, one time man had perfect intimacy with God. There was God and there was man. And what happened is that that your, your heart and your soul and God's heart collided together in just a beautiful collision of love. And you were fulfilled and God was satisfied. And that's all that man needed. But yet God saw something in man that he just wanted even more. God wanted man to have a relationship with him. But he also saw that man needed to have a relationship with each other. And so God 
decided to create woman out of man. So if you've got your Bibles today, if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And what we see here, we see that God created something that was whole. And he separated it into two parts. Something that was one, now was separated into two parts. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, it says this. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to man to see what he would call them. And the man chose the name for each of them. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord caused man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man, was, while the man slept, the Lord, took out of, uh, out of, um, the Lord took one of man's ribs, or other translations, a part of the man, or the side of the man, and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed. Yeah, I bet he did. At last. This is one bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And then this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So we see here that God has taken a part of man and he has created woman out of a part of man. And the Bible clearly says that it's only when they come together that they will be one once again. Man will be one once again. And it is at this point that it is only through intimacy, the act of sexual relations, that two can come together and become one. I'm sure there's like lots of love songs about that, right? You know, I think the Spice Girls sang about that. I, yeah, I'm sorry. I did. I had a Spice Girls album. And I, I don't know what was, what was up with me. Anyway, so being a human being, you are complete without intimacy. Because there's part of you that is missing. You need to find that intimacy to be complete. But firstly, intimacy with God and then intimacy with man. Because as human beings, we are missing that void with God and then with each other. But the problem for man is that Man couldn't keep an intimate relationship with God. He couldn't keep an intimate relationship with a perfect creator. And so the the search for perfect intimacy started with each other. We started searching for each other what we were missing with God. And when Adam and Eve finally sinned against God and they disobeyed God, suddenly for the first time, they started to hide from each other. The Bible says that when they sinned, They hid from God. They were out in the Garden of Eden. And they were around. And they hid from God. But then the Bible says they didn't just hide from God. But they hid from each other. Suddenly they realized for the first time that they were naked. And they started putting things on to cover themselves. They started to hide from God. And they started to hide from each other. And the problem is, is when we as humans start hiding from God. The result is that our soul starts to crave this intimacy. And without intimacy, pure love starts to be starved. 
And when you starve pure love, suddenly what happens is your senses take over and your senses start to dictate, dictate your actions. And when your senses start the search for physical intimacy or perfect intimacy, they keep searching and searching and searching. And you'll never find or you'll never experience perfect physical intimacy without first experience emotional and spiritual intimacy with God. So because sex was the way that we fulfilled our desires, we think it's going to make us whole. So we start to search. We start to open our senses up. We start to, 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 to start looking for that void in other pe- uh, uh, with other people. And sex without pure intimacy is like this. It's basically like a church without God. You've had sex without proper, perfect intimacy. It's like a church without God. And a church without God is boring and unfulfilling. And sex without perfect intimacy is boring and unfulfilling. It may feel great at the time, but you'll come away and that void will just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I believe that the act of marriage, which is basically a promise between two people to come together and dedicate themselves and their lives to one another is the first stage of intimacy. I believe marriage is the first stage of intimacy. I believe that sex is the completion of that intimacy. Not the other way around. But marriage is the first stage. Sex is the completion. Why? Because your soul craves intimacy. And marriage brings in that intimacy. Not only does your soul crave intimacy, but I believe that your body craves cleanliness. Your body craves cleanliness. When two people take part in the act of being intimate without the promise of a lifelong intimacy, I believe it results in unfulfilled, dirty sex. Unfulfilled, dirty sex. There is something about your body, I believe, which desires to be holy. You know, when you stuff your body or you stuff your face with like lots of donuts and lots of McDonald's and Big Macs and you go to Five Guys and you get like a heart attack burger and you just, you know, your body doesn't say, thanks, that felt great. Your body, like you get home, you sit on the couch, you're like, oh, I'm going to puke. You know, it's like, I feel sick. I feel disgusting. I mean, it tasted good at the time. I'm not going to go back. I'm probably going to do it again. But my body feels disgusting. And in the same way, when you put foods in your body and you just keep doing it in the same way when you have unfulfilled sex or unpure sex the same happens because there's something in your body that desires just to be pure and desires to be clean and i believe that sex without intimacy creates an uncleanliness let me look let's look at first uh, corinthians chapter six. First corinthians chapter six this is the letter that the apostle paul wrote to a church in corinth and just to give a quick background of the church in Corinth, they live in a culture very much like ours, where it was sex, 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 all the time. And they worshipped false gods. And as they worshipped false gods, they, they, they committed these sexual acts as worship onto these false gods. And so Paul had to address this issue of sex with these Corinthians because it was part of their culture. And this is what he says in uh, chapter 6 and verse 12. Starting at verse 12. He said, You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach 
and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. I'm kind of sad about that because I kind of like my food. And so there'll be a day I won't be able to enjoy that big, fat Five Guys burger. But then he says, but, but you can't say that your bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised the Lord from the dead. Then he says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one with her body? Like they were saying in Genesis, when two come together, they become one. For the scriptures say, the two are united into one. For the person who is joined to the Lord in one, uh, is in one spirit with him. Then it says in verse 18, it says, run from sexual sin. No other sin clearly affects your body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Then Paul says, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't use sex, you know, to, to glorify God. Don't use sex in the temple of God because you're a temple and what you should be is holy unto God. And I believe that there is something in man that desires to be holy because we are part of Christ or Christ is part of us. And when we decide to do things that are unholy, then we defile against Christ. Also, in, uh, uh, we see in, in 1 Thessalonians, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, Uh, chapter 4 and verse 3 to 5, it says, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. The word here for sexual sin is the same word as what we know as fornication. And fornication is like some old word. We don't use it anymore very much. But the word fornication basically means sexual acts done outside of the confines of marriage. That's basically a very basic definition of that term, sex done outside the confines of marriage. And Paul is here saying, stay away from that. Stay away from that. The reason is, is because it has something in us that makes us unholy. And I believe that, uh, that when we start to search for intimacy then we start to search for one another because we do not recognize that intimacy starts with God, our relationship with God. And what happens is a search for something that should be bring us closer to God actually takes us further away from God. Sex, I believe, is pure. I believe it's a clean thing. It's wonderful. Trust me, it's great. I love it. Inside the confines of marriage. Outside of marriage, outside of marriage, I think it causes our body to be defiled and unclean. And our bodies crave to be clean and holy, just as Christ is clean and holy. The last thing that our body craves, I believe that our mind craves purity. Our mind craves purity. I think only pure sex can satisfy the cravings of the mind. I think there's an emotional side of each of us that desires the love of somebody else. I think I find it very hard. I mean, I would hate to be a monk. I'd hate to be a Catholic priest, a nun, 
all those people who decide that, you know, I'm just going to abstain from the love of somebody else for my life. Because I think there's just a void that must be missing in their life because we all desire the love of somebody else. But you know, there is an emotional side to sex. Have you noticed how vulnerable people get after they have sex? One thing I've noticed is that so many relationships, I've had so many friends who have been in relationships and they've they've taken, they've, uh, they've been intimate with one another and then suddenly their relationship just breaks apart and they can't take it because sex brings an emotionalism upon you that unless it is under the solid confines of marriage, then you probably won't be able to take it. Because there's an emotional side of you that just, that just wells up within you. And your emotions affect you in such an unstable way. And I believe that when we have on pure sex, then our emotions take us to a place that will just race away and maybe destroy us. I believe on pure sex causes hurt. It causes destruction to relationships. It causes pain. I think it causes homes to be broken. It causes families to be broken. I even think it causes future marriages to have problems. Let me tell you something today. The images of unpure sex will stay with you for a lifetime. They will stay with you like wounds or scars from a war wound. They won't ever go away from you. They will stay with you for a lifetime. I read an article this week. Uh, CNN put out, and they were saying that in a recent study, and I was, I'll be honest, I was shocked with these statistics, but in a recent study, 95% of men and 80% of women fantasize about other people when they are being intimate with their partner. Wow. 95% of men. Guys, we've got to step up. Because if we're fantasizing about other people while we're with our wives, then we're defiling not only our bodies, but we're sinning against our wives. We're sinning against God. Now, girls, don't go home and say, do you fantasize about somebody else? (laughs) Please don't. But I believe there is something within you that craves purity. And when we take part in in, in, in unpure things of the mind, our minds just race away. Why do you think there's such a problem in, in the United States with, with, uh, with people being addicted to pornography? Because we let our minds just go away with ourselves. But our minds crave purity. And the more we engage with unpure sex, the more our minds burn with lustful desires. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the reality of heaven. When Christ sits in the place of honor and, and uh, God's right hand, think about the things of heaven, not of the things of earth. For you die to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole earth, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, Evil desires. Don't be greedy for a greedy person of this world. Uh, be, don't be greedy for a greedy person is an idolater 
worshipping the things of this world. Basically, Paul is saying to this church in, in the city um, in, in, uh, in Colossians, he is saying, stay away from that stuff. Think about God. Stay away from that stuff. And then we see in uh, Corinthians chapter 7 and uh, verse 2, it says, the husband should fulfill the wife's sexual needs. You hear that, guys? You've got a right to fulfill your wife's needs. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. And then in verse 5, it says, do not deprive each other of sexual relations with inside marriage unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. I'm like, wow, I'm feeling kind of unholy right now. I don't think I've ever done that. Then it says, afterwards you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of the lack of self-control. Let me just say, inside marriage, sex is good because it helps us come together. We become intimate. We become one. And then it stops our minds racing away with impure thoughts. And your mind desires to connect with somebody else on an emotional level. And I believe that a marriage that never connects emotionally is an unfulfilled, mar- unfulfilled marriage, despite how much sex may go on. And, and let me just say, just because you connect with somebody on an emotional level, it doesn't mean you should connect with them on a spiritual level either. So as we close today, you were created for relationship. But not relationship with everyone. Not a physical intimacy with everyone. Firstly, you were created to be relational with God and then with others. And what happened is we forsook our relationship with God and then our relationships with each other suffered. And when we flood our minds with the things that are not pure, it results in an unclean body. And an unclean body then cries out for more, there is to, for more to life. And a life that cries out for more to life is a life that is starved of intimacy. And the problem in today's culture is that we often put the cart before the horse. Like I said, I believe that marriage is the first step to that intimacy. Sex is the fulfillment of that intimacy. But the problem is, is we put sex first, and so we put the cart, we put the, the, the cart before the horse. And what happens when a cart goes before a horse? The cart gets nowhere, and there's a whole lot of mess. And you never find what you're looking for. You never get to the place where you need to go. However, I believe that a life that honors God is a life that realizes that intimacy, fulfillment, and completeness starts with first repairing that relationship with God. And it will be a life that finds intimacy. And then what happens is then when you come together as a married couple, when that intimacy with God is as it should be, that intimacy with, other, with, with, with each other will become incredible and perfect and fulfilling and you'll feel complete. And when sex is performed as an act of intimacy, not just an act of letting our senses go out, out, all, all out of control, but as an act of intimacy, I believe a oneness comes. Clean bodies are just crying out because they've been fed. Pure minds come into our lives. And the ultimate feeling of wholeness 
a person can experience comes over us. I believe that sex before marriage is something that doesn't benefit us. It harms us. It hurts us because it starves our soul, our minds, and our bodies of what it is craving for. And you'll go on a search that will be a lifelong search and you'll never find what you're looking for.